are in this series. My name's Tony Baker. We're, uh, I'm the lead pastor at Gateway. We're in this series called Fully You. Started it last week. If you missed last week, you can go out online to our website and listen to it there. Um, a lot of stuff last week. We kind of set the stage for the rest of this series. Uh, last week, we started um, talking about the difference between shame and guilt. And we talked about how those things are different. And uh, guilt says, I did something wrong, right? When you're guilty, you hear this voice that says, well, I think I did something wrong and I feel guilty about it. Shame's a little different. Sometimes we like to mix shame and guilt and think it's the same thing, but it's not. It's different. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. Different. It kind of defines us. It kind of gives us our identity I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm so this, or I'm so that. And we shame ourselves, and others shame us, and we feel that deep shame. We talked about original sin. We talked about when Adam and Eve fell, and what original sin is. And that it's this, you know, God created us, right, to be in the image of Him. To be perfect love, to be safe, secure, to be connected in relationship with Him. You know, to feel empowered. We talked about how God gave us the ability. He said, go and subdue the world. He gave us power. He empowered us. But sin broke it all up. Sin destroyed it. And this week I got these right. I've got these uh, images for you. This is what we see in the, connection, in the creation story. When you read the creation story, it tells us that we were created with these three basic needs. We all have them. We want to be, able to be safe. We want to feel connection. We want to feel empowerment. And then sin messed that up. And shame came in. We talked about how Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they hid from God. And he says, why are you hiding? He says, because we were naked and afraid. That's shame. He says, who told you you were naked? So there's shame there. And God, and so these are the ways when we don't feel safe and we don't feel connected and we don't feel empowered, these are the things we feel deep in our hearts and in our minds. When we don't feel safe, it's because we typically feel abandoned. When we don't feel connection, relationship, it's because we've been rejected. When we don't feel empowered, we feel humiliation. When you take the power away from someone, especially in front of someone else, it humiliates them. Every one of us was created with a free will to choose. And we need to have that ability to choose. And when we no longer can choose because someone took that from us, we feel humiliated. And so sin messed all this up. We felt, and so the third triangle shows us how we sinfully defend our shame, defend ourselves. When we don't feel safety, we feel abandonment. When we feel abandonment, forget you. I don't need anyone else. Everyone's just going to let me down. No trust. No connection. So we self-absorb. It, the life becomes about me. I don't need other people because you can't trust other people. They'll just abandon you. And when we don't feel connection and we feel rejection, then we go into this defense mechanism called self-gratification. 
God intended us to be connected in relationship and our deepest needs be met in a true, loving relationship. But when that's broke because of sin, we then begin to gratify ourselves. This leads to the addictions in our life. And then empowerment, when we feel humiliated. (laughs) And I shared with you that this is mine. I shared with you a very personal story about me in the fourth grade, right? How personal can you get in the fourth grade? But hey, I was humiliated. I mean, the teacher read my love letter in the front of the whole class, right? That was humiliating to me. I lost control of the situation. So our defense mechanism then is to begin to control everything. Everyone in our life. Why? I will not let you humiliate me again. I will not let them humiliate me again. So we control them. We try to set the stage so that we will not experience that. And we talked. Jesus came to take away all of our sins and our shame. Not just the sin, but the shame left because of it. Jesus came to take it all away on the cross. Jesus absorbed into his body abandonment, rejection, humiliation. Jesus took it all on him. And there on the cross, he nailed it to the cross. And this is on the cross, Jesus takes away our sin. On the cross, Jesus makes a way for us to again be safe and connected and empowered. It's really amazing. See, Jesus could have self-absorbed, self-gratified, and took all the power he wanted. But instead, he loved us. Instead of self-absorption, he loved others. Instead of self-gratification, he loved others others. Instead of controlling the circumstance and situation, he surrendered and loved others. Perfect love is the opposite of self-defense. We are going to be abandoned. We are going to be rejected. We are going to be humiliated in this world. But Jesus, Jesus wants us to surrender all of that pain to Him, to the Holy Spirit, who in response will fill our hearts with love and meet the needs of our deepest hearts. So last week, I asked you to start thinking about that corner of the triangle that you most identify with. I said mine was control, humiliation, you know, empowerment. I need to be, feel empowered. And I asked you to start thinking about that. And we filled out those papers. And hopefully you thought about this week. And if you didn't, you can do it this week. But I'm going to help you a little bit more today. Because you probably found it difficult. You're like, if you're like me, you're like, man, I'm in all of those. (laughs) You know, it's like, I I see myself in in all of these. But you kind of lean toward one, the strongest. It's that hot point, that hot button in your life. So how can we identify those hot buttons, those sinful behaviors, those shameful behaviors that we have in our life? Well, today I want to talk to you about anger. Anger. 
Let me start by telling you a story. Some of you know this story. I've shared it. Many of you may not. About 10 years ago, um, when you all, this church, many of you weren't here, but when this church was without a pastor, I traveled back and forth from Bristol, Indiana, about an hour away. Every Sunday morning, I'd come over and preach. And I did that for almost a year before I became the pastor of this church. I'd come over a few times, and I came over by myself always. But once in a while, the girls, I have three daughters who are now 20 and 17 and 14, Uh, Every once in a while, one of them would say, Dad, can we go with you? See, my wife and I, she was still very active in our church back in Elkhart. And uh, she led the fourth and fifth grade class. The kids were connected there. So I wasn't the pastor here. I was just basically an interim. So I was coming over. They stayed home. But once in a while, the kids would want to come with me. And I would take one with me at a time. It turned turned this one Sunday that Katie, my youngest, uh, she was up here playing guitar uh, Katie is um, one of the most beautiful, talented, loving, soft-hearted people that you know. But man, is she stubborn. <laughs> Bullheaded. She knows what she wants and don't tell her otherwise, right? That didn't just pop up when she turned 14. Um, that popped up when she was very little. Uh, She was going to go with me this day, this Sunday morning. My wife had already left because we had three services at the church we were at. It was an 8 o'clock, 8.30 service. She was gone. I didn't need to leave. I I had it planned. You know, if I leave my house at at, 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 at about 8.30, 8.45, I can get here with about 20 minutes to spare and uh, meet and greet people and then come in, have service, and then make it back home for dinner with them. Well, this day, I mean... Katie decided she wanted to go this day. It was about five minutes before we had to leave, and I was still battling with her to get ready. I mean, we were fighting to get ready. And I remember the anger swelling. And I remember the, the, there we were in Bristol in our house, and I remember being in the kitchen, and it's like three minutes to leave, and she's not ready, and she decides she is going to dig in. Now, when Katie dug in as a child, um, everyone cleared the house. I mean, she, we have literally been pulling her to bed, and she has got her hands on the doors like this, and she is like stretched out like Superman, screaming at the top of her voice because she just wasn't ready for bed. But we were trying to tell her she was. And just, this was one of those mornings. And I remember standing there in the kitchen, and I looked, and I'm like, I need to be going now. And she's still not ready. That by this point, she decided to lay down on the ground and throw a fit and scream and said, I'm not going. Keep in mind, her mother's already gone. There's 70 of you at that time, 60 or 70 people here that would be waiting on me. If you know me, I don't like to be late for anything. In that moment, a five-year-old laying on the ground screaming, I'm thinking I've got to go. I'm thinking, where's your mother? No, I wasn't thinking that because I knew where she was. But I'm down on the ground, and I lean over her, and I lost it. Something I'm not proud about to this day. 
I got red-faced. I grabbed her by the shoulders hard, and I screamed at her. Now, keep in mind, in an hour from now, I'm going to be preaching God's Word to you guys, all right? (laughs) And I'm standing over her, and I'm screaming at her, red-faced, and I'm about ready to spank her butt. And I know you can't do those things today, but we did then. Um, probably Probably why my kid's such a good kid. But anyway, I'm screaming at her, yelling at her. My anger took control of me. I'm sure you've never done that, right? I'm sure I'm not alone. Because here's something I know about you, because I know this about me, every one of us gets angry. Anger is a natural, God-given emotion. It comes out in different ways, but we all get angry. Some of you are angry right now because you just had a terrible morning. You trying to get the kids to dress and out the door and your husband forgot to turn this off and your wife forgot to do that and, and uh, nobody put the dog out, you know, and now we got to go to church for two hours and we're going to come back to a mess. And, you know, I understand. Some of you are, you came in here angry. Some of you came in and may be angry because you just didn't want to be here, right? Some of you this week have had run-ins with your coworkers or your boss. And your blood boiled. Your husband is not listening and ignoring you. You get angry. Your wife embarrasses you in public and you get angry. Sometimes that anger is fast and hot. And sometimes that anger slowly simmers to a boil. But the truth is, we all get angry. Anger is not a modern-day emotion. I know you would think it is, right? When you turn the news on or you listen to people today, you're like, man, everybody is so angry today. Anger has been around since the beginning of time. I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 4 today. Anger has been around since the beginning of time. Look at this verse with me. So the creation happens, perfect creation. The fall happens. Adam and Eve begin having children, begin populating the earth. And look what happens between two brothers. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor at Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Listen, so Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Doesn't that seem like a silly question? What do you mean, why am I angry? You didn't accept my offering. You, you love my brother more than me. <laughs> so he thought. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Ooh. 
That word sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that one of our core needs? To be accepted, to be connected, to belong. But if you do not do what is right, listen, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Hey, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Sin is anger is not a sin but a sign. This is what we learn from the Bible. Anger is an emotion that God gives us. From this text, we learn that Cain did not sin until his anger took control of him, and that caused him to sin. Instead of seeing anger as a sign, he let sin overcome him. You know, there's... uh, 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Counted every one of them. No, actually, I looked it up. And it only took four to get to anger. Cain's sacrifice was rejected. Sounds like he felt shame, doesn't it? He felt rejection. Maybe he was humiliated. Maybe something was going on deeper in Cain's heart. Cain felt that God had rejected him. He felt the shame of rejection. And because he felt that shame of rejection, anger was quickly followed by it. It came upon him. That is something in our lives. When we have this shame in our life and we let it take control, anger will boil to the top. Anger, as I said, is not a sin, but a sign of something deeper. Something deeper that is wrong in my heart. Something that is not right in my heart. You know, God did not accept. Have you ever wondered why God did not accept Cain's offering? And why he accepted Abel's? When you look closer and you look deeper into it and the conversation that God had... Let's just boil it down to this. God did not accept his offering because he rejected Cain. He didn't reject Cain. God could not accept Cain's offering because of what was wrong with Cain's heart. The offering wasn't the issue. And many times in our anger, the child on the floor is not the issue. The driver who cuts me off is not the issue. The coworker who comes in late all the time is not the issue. The boss who's always writing me is not the issue. The offering wasn't the issue. God could not accept the offering because Cain was trying to substitute obedience and faithfulness with a sacrifice. He tried to give God something while all along his heart was not right. God rejected Cain's offering because of Cain's heart, not the offering. Anger is always a secondary emotion. God does not want obedience. 
as a substitute for right heart. But anger is a secondary emotion. It appears when we feel threatened, when we feel our safety is threatened, our connections are threatened, or our empowerment is threatened, anger comes out as a secondary emotion. The problem is not the thing or the people we're angry at. The problem is is that I feel something deeper or something is in me deeper that needs to be dealt with. You know, Jesus got angry. There's a scene in the Bible where Jesus comes into town and it says he became very angry. And he cleared the temple. They were in the temple and they were wheeling and dealing and they were selling things and they were cheating people. And he had a righteous anger. It wasn't so much that what they were doing, but as much as the heart of, what the, of how they were doing it. They were treating the poor and the misfortunate badly. And Jesus' anger boiled. It was a righteous anger. So there I am standing over Katie. And I've got my hands on her tight. And she's screaming. I'm already late. If I left now, I would just barely make it. And I'm screaming at her. Red-faced. And I hear this voice in my head. Why are you so angry? And I begin to talk back. Because she won't listen. And I hear back, she's five. But she should listen. She's five. Why are you so angry, Tony? And as I'm standing there over my daughter and I begin to realize what's happening, I know it was God because I'm not smart enough to think of this on my own. I'm standing there over her, screaming and yelling. I hear this voice. And I, so, that question, what are you angry at, went straight to my heart. And it dawned on me, I wasn't so angry at Katie because she was having a rough morning. I didn't want to be humiliated by being the preacher at a church and coming in late. It was deeper than just her behavior. It was, I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to be humiliated. And people will say, oh, you wouldn't have been humiliated, but I would have felt that way. And so there was something in me that needed to put my best foot forward and present myself in a way that someone who's got it together, someone who's always on time, I didn't want you to think I was lazy or I didn't care. I didn't want to be humiliated that way. And so there is all of that shame in that moment coming out as anger at my daughter. And it just dawned on me that this anger was this secondary motion of, Anger's not the problem. It's a sign that something's not right with my heart. And I picked her up and hugged her and I began to listen to her. And we got here on time, barely. Anger always points to something deeper within us. And when it points to something deeper, 
what really needs to happen is a surrender. What really needs to happen in your life when you're angry and you start to look at that anger instead of being angry and lashing out, you begin to look as, why am I so angry? And you look inside and you say, wow, because I feel rejection. I feel somebody wronged me. Here's what you do with that. You surrender that to God because God goes in there and he says, hey, I can meet that need in your heart. We all get angry in different ways. Let me move through these really quick with you. <laughs> I've had people tell me, I don't get angry. Oh, okay, are you human? Um, you know, I've had people say, I, I don't really get angry. And you've met people, you're like, wow, they never get angry. They, they call it frustration or annoyance. But let me run through just a couple, because anger shows itself in so many different ways. Now, I got this out of our book that that I'm using for a lot of this material um, by Joel. Joel, uh, It's called Fully You. You can look it up, or if you want to know more, just email me or text me. But we all get angry in different ways. He put some cute little names on these, and I just thought they were great, so I'm going to borrow them. Here's the first person, the ticking time bomb. You all know this person, right? They're, (laughs) yeah, you do, long fuse. I mean, rarely... Rarely do you see them react to a moment. You're like, whoa, that really would have made me mad. But they're cool, they're calm, but what you don't realize is the fuse is lit. And it's just a matter of time before the anger builds and overflows and then they explode one day. Here's the thing about the ticking time bomb. Very rarely will they show anger in public. They'll take it out on their family. That's me. Very rarely will they explode in front of other people, but when they get home, that'll come out on their family. The ticking time bomb. The next one's the point keeper. We all know one of these, right? Um, They rarely react to the moment. You're like, wow, that really would have made me mad. You're so good. You're so you're so holy. And so wonderful and so amazing. How do you not get mad at that? And the whole time they're keeping score. And, you know, instead of, of getting angry in the moment, they file it away. Eventually the list gets overfilled and it starts to run off the paper. And they will, this is the person who you're talking to. And all of a sudden they start bringing stuff up from five years ago. And you're like, what are you talking about I have no idea what you're talking about. This is the person who, you know, um, you remember on our honeymoon, honey, we've been married 30 years. And they're keeping a list. And they never get angry. They never show it, you know. But man, they bring up issues from years ago. And then there's Captain Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Sarcasm is a form of anger. But here's the thing about sarcasm. It's clever, it's quick, and it's funny because if someone actually gets offended by your sarcasm, here's what the person says. Oh, don't get so serious. I was just joking. You've met these people, right? They're sarcastic about everything. The truth is they're hiding their true anger with funny and quick and glib. Relax. Sarcasm is anger disguised as funny humor and then you've got i like this one the velvet harpoon champion 
man, this person is smooth and pleasant to be around. But boy, are they sharp and pointy below the surface. They smile. They make you feel wonderful. They make you think, wow, this person really likes me or they love me or whatever. But the second, you know, you sitting there having a conversation and, well, they say nice things, but they say it in a devious way. Hey, pastor, I really, really loved the last message of the series. Best one yet. Finally, you're preaching from the Bible. You see what I'm saying? They come off smooth and velvety, but then they'll get a little jab in there. And they show their true anger. How about the deep freeze? These people just get quiet and distant. Silence is their MO. They just want they just won't talk to people for days or weeks or even years. Some of you may have someone that you were angry with at one time and you've not talked to in years. Funny thing about these people, the deep freeze, they tell themselves that they are taking the high road by not talking about it. That I'm keeping the peace, but in reality, they are lashing out with silence. And then you've got the gang fighter. Y'all know one of these, right? Please don't look at your husband or wife and point at them and do this, okay? This is not what this is supposed to be. After I'm done with this list, you should say, wow, we're all angry people at times. The gang fighter, these people only show anger when they have support around them. A few couples maybe get together and begin hanging out, and one person starts biting jokes, sarcasm about their spouse. And they laugh, ha ha, it's funny. The group gives them a safe place to air their dirty laundry and their issues with their spouse. And then you got the guerrilla fighter. I'm only going to say two words here about this. Passive-aggressive. That's the guerrilla fighter. The guerrilla fighter, the most compliant person in the room. They, they seem to just get along with everybody, but the moment you turn your back... <laughs> You just never see them coming. To your face, they agree and they show appreciation and love toward you, but when you turn your back, they undermine you, they gossip about you, they stab you, they tear you down. That is the passive-aggressive person. It's probably one of the... I've seen all of these, and and I have done a lot of these and many of these, and my anger and the way I express anger... Passive-aggressive, though, is really tough because you just never see it coming. So how should we we respond to this anger? How should we, uh, you know, how should we respond when we see anger come up or when it comes out in us? Here's the first thing is that you need to realize anger can be used as a force of good and anger can also be used as a force of evil. People have done incredibly out-of-control, stupid things when they're angry. But God intends anger to show something deeper in our hearts. And when we learn to harness that anger in a way that helps us grow spiritually, 
it becomes a force of good. James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James gives us a formula on how to handle our emotions in the moment. Listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Notice he doesn't say don't become angry. That's ridiculous. If, if a pastor or a religious person ever tells you it's a sin to be angry, they're, they're foolish and they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Anger is a God-given emotion. It's a gift. But it's a gift to be used for good. It tells us something's wrong. It tells us that something needs to be corrected. It tells us that something's off. It tells us that something is as it should not be in me. When anger comes up, it says something needs to change. Something needs to be righted. Something needs to be reconciled, redeemed. It's a force of good. James doesn't say don't become angry. He says be slow to anger. Process it. Think about it. Understand why it's there. We have these God-given needs to feel safe and connected and empowered. When we live in a broken and a sinful world, listen, you will be abandoned. You will be humiliated. You will be rejected. And the anger will boil to the top. Anger can be this powerful gift that helps us identify and overcome the shame in our own hearts. But why? So that we can turn to God in faith as the one to meet those deepest needs. Not self-gratification. Not self-absorption. Not through controlling everything and everybody, but instead to surrendering our hearts and lives to Jesus. Listen, Jesus loved perfectly in the middle of all of it. On the cross, Jesus loved perfectly in His abandonment, in His rejection, in His humiliation. And guess what? So can we. You say, well, how? That's Jesus. That's the point of the cross. Our identity in Jesus is not abandonment or rejection or humiliation, but our identity is in Jesus on the cross is our is our embrace. He embraces us and He restores us and He loves us. And He wants to do the same in our heart so that when that coworker or that person that cut you off or that child that won't listen, you can love them as you should. Using anger for good. Three things, and you can write these down, practical things that you can do. The first is this, identify what's making you angry. And don't say, my daughter laying on the floor. No, that's not really what's making you angry. It's your fear. It's your insecurities. Identify what consistently makes you angry. Write it down. Journal it. Keep a log. Get a notepad. Walk around. Every time you get angry. I know some of you need to get a three, a double wide one, all right? Thick one. 
Write it down. I need, a, I need one about this thick sometimes, right? Write down. Journal it. I was angry today, 2 p.m. Somebody cut me off. You have no idea why they cut you off, but you're angry at them. What's that really about? Maybe you didn't feel respected in your life, or you feel rejected, and you don't feel like you have any power. You know, it humiliated you, or it threatened your safety. What, whatever that is, write that down. Identify what the real issue is. Second, when you get angry, take a time out. Pause. Slow down. Get away from the situation and calm yourself. Rest your brain. And third, express anger using primary emotions. Remember, anger is always a secondary thing. There's a primary. When I was sitting over my daughter, I told you a lot of stuff about what I heard. But the biggest thing was this. What are you afraid of? I was afraid of being humiliated. I was afraid of being late, embarrassed. People think I'm lazy. I didn't get up. My alarm didn't go off, whatever. I know that doesn't bother some of you, but uh, it really bothers me because, you know, it just does. And so I'm standing there and, and it just realized the primary emotion that I felt was fear. It was fear. I was afraid of what other people might think of me if I'm late. I can't love my daughter as I should if I care about what other people think of me. Do you see how it's connected? Do you see how it's there? You need to express anger using your primary. Think about the primary emotion and why you're angry. When you know what's making you consistently angry, then you can learn to begin to manage that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Instead of saying, I'm so angry, we say, I don't feel safe. Makes me afraid and I feel abandoned. Instead of saying, I'm so angry, we say, you know what? I don't feel accepted. I don't feel cherished. I don't feel connected. I feel rejected and disconnected. Instead of saying, I so, I'm so angry, we say, I don't feel empowered in this moment. I don't have a choice here, and that angers me. Take, so, take all of this, and I, I put a link up here, write this down. Uh, he put this, yamiangry.info. I did this. And what's interesting is, I kind of knew where I was in the corner of the triangle, and I answered his five or six little questions. And sure enough, he pegged me in the corner of the triangle. You know, yeah, you have control issues. Ha! Oh, thanks for telling me that. Um, but anyways, if you're interested and you just are like, I just really don't know which corner I'm in. I'm, I'm disconnected from that. Take this little quiz. He asks you some really interesting little questions um, about that. It helps to know yourself. Because here's the thing. Once you know that hot button in your life, once you know the shame that you're living with, you can begin to give that to Christ and feel the love and the embrace and the connection and the relationship that you have. And it heals you. It transforms you. Anger is a gift. It's a sign that a deep area of my heart 
is being shamed. And something we believe about ourselves. We have a sense that it's not true, but still the anger swells. And so here's this hurt triangle that we have. Safety is the need. Abandonment is the shame. Self-absorption is the sinful behavior that comes out of that. And we look at that. An angry person who feels the shame of abandonment will self-absorb. Once you figure out your hot spot, the shame you carry around, take it to God. And understand that Jesus carried all of it. All the sin, all the shame, all of it. It amazes me, though, when I look at Jesus and I read about Jesus and I put that over the top of the cross and say, wow, shame, rejection, all that. How in the world could he love us? How in the world could he love those people around that cross? I want to be like that in my life in my relationships. Jesus, transform me. Once you figure out that hot spot, look to the cross. You will find, and here's the thing, you will find that the wall that keeps you from being fully you, who you're supposed to be, that wall that keeps you from growing into what you ought to be, those shames in your life, anger, is not the sin, but it brings a spotlight to that wall, that barrier between you and what God has for you. Jesus is the wrecking ball that tears the wall down. Jesus wants nothing more than for you to be fully you. He did all the work and He made it happen. Would you stand with me as we pray? I'm going to lead you through a prayer, and I want you to repeat after me, everybody in this room. Just repeat after me as we pray. Jesus, I get angry. I blame others for my anger. I confess that I have sinned in my anger. Truth is, My sin and others shame me. I feel abandoned. I feel rejected. I feel humiliated at times. That makes me angry. Jesus, you loved us perfectly from the cross. Make me like you. I surrender now to you. Wash me of my sin. Make my heart right that I can love like you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.